And welcome to Generations. Kevin Swanson, your host with you as well. Steve Vaughn, board member for Christian Home Educators and Generations. Well, today I want to, well, commemorate George Washington Carver Day, Booker T. Washington Day. I probably remember we celebrated a national holiday on Monday. Yeah. 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 Break I out thought the it was MLK. <laughs> well, I'd rather go with GWC. Yeah. George Washington Carver Day or BTW. Booker T. Washington Day. Yeah. Want to give folks a little history on this edition, and you can catch this in our book, America and God's Providence. We have a full write-up on these uh, subjects from a distinctively biblical worldview perspective. So we got to be careful not to just borrow from the pagans and the anti-biblical, anti-Christian, anti-God historians that uh, effectively have ruled our country and completely dominate the universities and the K-12 schools. And they will tell you they do not fear God and they oppose God at every single point. And they will effectively interpret their history and present their history through that grid. Well, little history there on this edition of the program. Number one, keep in mind that enforced segregation in American society between people of slightly different skin melanins uh, occurred as early as the 1870s, 1880s, coming out of the Civil War, enforced segregation where they used different bathrooms and coffee pots for the African Americans versus the whites. That came by the Democrat Party under Woodrow Wilson, very, very bad policies. It was somewhat corrected under the influence of. Uh, Calvin Coolidge. So keep that in mind as well. Calvin Coolidge very much opposed to the eugenics policies that were enforced and encouraged by Theodore Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson. So you had something of an improvement under Calvin Coolidge. But sadly, Woodrow Wilson, a good Democrat, did almost everything badly. Well, the state of Virginia and other states were regulating private businesses around the same time frame. The state of Virginia required private businesses to segregate the white race and the colored race in theaters, opera houses, and motion picture shows. Of course, very, very bad laws, tyrannical laws trying to control what people do with their own businesses. We're talking about the government trying to control private enterprise. Can you believe that? Well, they still do it, and they do (laughs) it just about as badly as they ever have. In 1878, a statute stated that white persons who intermarried with a colored person would be confined in a penitentiary between two and five years. Ministers who perform such ceremonies were to be fined $200. Again, these are extraordinarily tyrannical laws that were imposed upon the American public in the 1870s and 1880s. I could give you so many other examples of that. Well, in 1955, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a whites-only segregated city bus. And in 1957, nine young people with a little more melanin in their skin tried to enroll in Little Rock Central High School in Arkansas, and President Eisenhower sent troops into Little Rock to help the desegregation process uh, as approved of by the Supreme Court of the United States. So, you know, it turns out that the laws that were pressed upon private businesses and the segregation laws that were enforced into the uh, government bureaucracies, whether it be state, local, or federal governments 
uh, that those policies were radically reversed in the 1950s and 1960s. What does that tell you? But that American society or any society can oppose the laws of God for 60, 70, 80 years, and that becomes the majority opinion until everything changes when a lady named Rosa Parks refuses to give up her seat on a whites-only segregated bus. I believe that was in Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but out in Arkansas as well, nine young people stood up and said, no, nope, we're going to roll in Little Rock Central High School, and Eisenhower backed them up. Well, the Bible clearly forbids this preferring people due to their skin color or their wealth. Segregation is partiality and just not right. Listen to what James tells us, James chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I think that verse applies very, very appropriately to this question of uh, segregation, Steve. Yes, it does. And I mean, the whole idea even of segregation, just because you have different color skin, it's just crazy. They, they try to call it different races, but there's only one race. And right, 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 the, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the human race. And so when I get, you know, I, I love doing that when I get called for, uh, you know, surveys and things like that. Do you mind sharing what your race is? And I'll say, yes, it's human. And, and they'll say, do you really want to go with that? And I said, yeah. It's just one race. That's the human race. But uh, yeah, we the, the whole idea of segregating and Noah's even, kids. Yeah. Noah's kids. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're Noah's kids. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> to put that down, Noah's kids. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. Well, friends, we're going to take a break. When we get back, George Washington Carver Day, John Jasper Day, Booker T. Washington Day, having a good time here in the Generations Studio. Be back in just a moment. Hello, my friends. For the last 15 years, the Generations team has produced a Christian curriculum specifically for families who want to give their children a God-centered, Bible-saturated, biblical worldview-based education. Our commitment is to restore the Christian faith, generational faith in an age where we are losing faith in this country and almost anywhere around the world where Christian children attend secular schools or use secular curriculum and imbibe secular culture. Now, we're not relying on the pre-Christian Greeks for an educational model here. We're not relying on the post-Christian secularist for the education model either. Our curriculum is based in a biblical worldview. We put hundreds of Bible verses in the history books and integrate the truths into the subjects. We want to glorify God on every page of the science books. We immediately integrate knowledge into life application and natural revelation with special revelation. We keep Christ at the very center of the history books with preparing the world for Jesus and taking the world for Jesus. I believe God is calling this generation in this highly secularized age to a radical change in how they disciple their children. Please check out our program for education of your children and grandchildren at www.generations.org. And we're back on Generations. This is Kevin Swanson and Steve Vaughn. Well, why in the world are we celebrating George Washington Carver Day and Booker T. Washington Day 
this year. Why is that the case? I'm sure some of you are asking the question. Now, we just mentioned that you have to be careful about partiality when it comes to commending one person and condemning the other. And when it comes to commending some people for a particular sin while condemning others who are guilty of the very same sin. So we have to be very cautious with this sort of thing. And by the way, what I'm about to say is all over the Internet. And even the liberal media is saying, well, yeah, there is that adultery, that rape story. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's that. Mm -hmm. So even the liberal media understands these issues. This is theconversation.com, and I'll just read word for word. According to FBI memos, Martin Luther King Jr. witnessed and encouraged a rape in a hotel room. This guy says, I'm an MLK scholar. I'll never be able to view King in the same light after this. David Garrow, who is the Pulitzer Prize-winning biographer of Martin Luther King Jr., unearthed information that may forever change King's legacy. This would have been three, four years ago. In an 8,000-word article published in the British periodical Standpoint magazine on May 30th, Garrow details contents of FBI memos he discovered after spending weeks sifting through more than 54,000 documents located at the National Archives website, initially sealed by court order until 2027. The documents ended up being made available in recent months through the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act of 1992. Well, the most damaging memos in all of this collection describe Martin Luther King Jr. witnessing a rape in a hotel room instead of stopping it. Handwritten notes in the file say he encouraged the attacker to continue. Now, this, of course, caught the eye of principal journalists. I mean, journalists who say, now, wait a minute. Uh, we, we we need to you know tell the truth. Actually, there are a few journalists out there that say, "Well, the truth is important." So, I mean, that's sort of the business we're supposed to be in. So, and and this is one of the most respected journalists in the world who's writing on this, or a biographer for Martin Luther King Jr., somebody who's been received as one of the preeminent, if not the preeminent, biographer for Martin Luther King Jr. Gara writes that. King may have fathered a daughter with Dolores Evans, a girlfriend of his who's still alive and living in Los Angeles. Um, the memos also detail the closeness of his relationship with Dorothy Cotton. It appears that the two were romantically involved as well. Many of these transcripts are based on audio tapes that are still sealed under court order. This guy says, I've gotten to know Garo and his work over the last 11 years while conducting my own extensive research into King's use of Langston Hughes poetry, et cetera, et cetera. It says Garo has been... Uh, uh, same reputation among historians as Bob Woodward has among journalists. That is to say, I have no reason to doubt Garo's intentions or the accuracy of his article. Soon after King's death, several members of his inner circle, including Ralph Abernathy, started publicly discussing King's philandering at the time, and he justified his behavior by saying it was no different from the biblical David writing his psalms by day, only to be relieved at night by his concubines. So that was the justification used here. Others pursued a line of defense extended by uh, or to John F. Kennedy. What someone does in their own time isn't the public's business. Garrow has outlined several of King's marital infidelities in his 1986 biography of King, but he often spared the names of the women involved to protect their identities. Well, now what happens next is this. Apparently, the information contained in the memos won't be confirmed until 2027. That's when FBI's 
Full audio tapes, photographs, and film footage of King will be unsealed per a 1977 court order. Garo proposes that the possibility King tolerated or abetted a rape, quote, poses so fundamental a challenge to his historical stature as to require the most uh, complete and extensive historical review possible. And that seems to me to be legitimate. I mean, if, if we are the kind of people who are trying to be non-partial, the Bible calls us to not be a respecter of persons, even when it comes to somebody who has been lauded by the establishment for a very, very long time. I think we, you know, those of principle need to step back and say, yeah, that's right. Um, now, I, nobody's suggesting that we should have a Jimmy Swaggart day, <laughs> you know, or a Jim and Tammy Baker day or a Jeffrey Epstein day. <laughs> yeah. I don't hear anybody stepping up and saying, hey, let's do this. Now, I'm not sure that Jeffrey Epstein has been to court and we've, you know, seen all the evidence yet. But at this point, it seems to me probably not a good time to establish a Jeffrey Epstein day. And, and, and require as a federal holiday. Now, of course, there's reasons why Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, is is lauded. He's attributed to reversing some of these laws that were so problematic in American history. Of course, it wasn't just him who did it. There are many others that contributed to reversing some of those trends. But uh, But still, I think we have to be cautious. Yes, we have our heroes. But some sins of themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others and constitute something of a, a scandal and a scandal for, you know, the pastor and the Christian faith itself. He was supposed to have been a pastor. Now, a couple of things. One, Martin Luther King Jr.'s mentor was very much of a problem. He attended Crozier Theological Seminary for his theological training a very liberal institution for the day. He served as assistant pastor at Boston's 12th Baptist Church in the 1950s. And in his writings, Dr. King referred to the Bible as, quote, mythological, and also doubted whether Jesus was born to a virgin. But as with many liberal ministers of the day, Martin Luther King Jr. adopted the theology of Paul Tillich, which, by the way, was the subject of King's doctoral thesis. Paul Tillich was a well-known German-American theologian, a very bad apostate theologian, argued for Christian existentialism and sexual looseness. By the way, practiced sexual looseness with great liberality in his own marriage, in his own life. Terrible, terrible. X-rated stuff. You don't want to read Paul Tillich's stuff either. But it turns out that Martin Luther King Jr. was very much affected by the theology. And, and I would also add the the life of Paul Tillich. Now it, it turns out that uh, that the qualifications for a pastor in the Christian Church, as established by Titus one, is that a man be blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children. Now, when I say that, Steve, what do I mean? A man is blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children. I think that it's more that he is seeking to live out a godly lifestyle according to what God says, not himself. We're not looking for somebody who is sinless, but they are blameless. Uh, I would think if somebody is intentional and continuing in their sin, you could not call them blameless. But somebody who seeks a biblical lifestyle seeks to please God and God alone uh, with his life. 
And I think if, if you look into the Greek, you'll find that that means a man who's beyond the scandal, a man that would not bring some kind of shame, uh, a disreputation upon the church. So I think that's the issue, is, is, is he doing something that would bring some form of shame upon the church of Jesus Christ? And if so, I mean, you take some, you know, there's so many of these scandals have, have effectively repeated this sort of thing over the last 30 to 40 years of the Christian church. You have men who get drunk on a fairly regular basis, pastors who commit adultery, pastors who molest children, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If all these instances of the breaking of the seventh commandment in very egregious ways. And, uh, and, and something that would actually be deemed shameful and horrific in the eyes of not just the church itself, but the community that surrounds the church. And, and, and that's, I think, what this historian is saying, is that if this be true, then we're going to have to be way, way more careful with the sort of honor that we would pay to him. Well, let me close with a short story on John Jasper and Booker T. Washington. I wish I could give you more of this, but you can grab it in American Faith, 27 Sketches from Winthrop to Wilkerson, and America and God's Providence. We tell the stories, the good stories, the great stories. I love this quote from Booker T. Washington. He wrote the book Up From Slavery, definitely worth reading. Here's what he said. We must learn to incorporate God's laws into our thoughts, words, and acts. Frequent reference is made in the Bible to the freedom that comes from being a Christian. A man is free just in proportion as he learns to live within God's laws. I couldn't say that any better. <laughs> That's really well stated. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, That's just a single quote from Booker T. Washington, classic quote. But here's the story of John Jasper. Listen to this. He's born in 1812. He's converted in Richmond, Virginia, preached for 50 years, 25 of years of which he uh, was serving as a slave. His conversion story is touching. He had been under conviction of sin for six weeks. It was July 25th, 1839, while he was stripping tobacco leaves in a small factory that John Jasper realized he'd been forgiven and redeemed. He said that right there, began to shout and skip around the factory telling everybody, hallelujah, my soul is redeemed. The supervisor was not happy with him and reported him to the factory owner. The boss, Sam Hargrove, <laughs> called Jasper into his office and asked him what happened. Well, he told Hargrove, God took my sins away, set my feet on a rock. I didn't mean to make no noise, Marsam, but before I knowed it, the fires broke out in my soul, and I just let go one shout to the glory of my Savior. The master put an arm around him and said, I love the Savior that you have just found, and I want to tell you that I don't complain because you made the noise just now as you did. John, I wish you mighty well. Your Savior is mine, and we are brothers in the Lord. Then Sam Hargrove turned to the young man and said he should tell all of them about the Savior. Quote, after you get through telling it here at the factory, go up to the house, tell your folks, go around to your neighbors, tell them, go anywhere you want to and tell them the good news. Okay, isn't that beautiful? That's what John Jasper did. He told wow. tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people about his Redeemer during his preaching career of 50 years. He pastored the church at Sixth Mount Zion Church in Richmond, Virginia, of which there were 2,000 in attendance by the day of his death. He preached in the Confederate hospitals in Richmond, bringing scores of men to tears and conversion. He questioned the scientism of his day, always presenting the scriptures as the source of truth. And we can go on and on, but amazing, the stories 
that you'll read, especially of John Jasper. <laughs> you got to get the biography of John Jasper. It is phenomenal. All right, friends, I, I want to wrap it up there. I just want to say, hey, let's celebrate a few days today. Let's celebrate John Jasper Day, Booker T. Washington Day, and of course, always George Washington Carver Day. Get the full stories in American Faith, 27 sketches, and of course, our big two-volume set, America in God's Providence. We love to read these stories out loud to our kids. I'd encourage you to grab some of this and read it to your children, too. Well, friends, that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.